stock market continues to make new all-time highs. The S&P finally following and making a new all-time high of its own at the end of last week. The most long-anticipated promised recession of all time clearly has not arrived yet, at least not for stocks. What the hell is going on there? And why is Bitcoin continuing to sort of languish as ETF hype subsides and GBTC continues to sell? We're going to talk about all of this. It's Macro Monday. I've got James Lavish, Mike McGlone, and Dave Weisberger from the lobby of a hotel. It's becoming a famous thing. You're not really a Macro Monday in until you do a, a Macro Monday recording from the, from the lobby of a hotel. So James and Mike, you're going to have to do that once. I've done it before. Guys, it's Macro Monday, my favorite hour of the week. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. We've got two guys uh, doing this on West Coast time, waking up before 6 o'clock in the morning to make it happen. we got Dave, James, and Mike. Dave, it takes uh, being on West Coast time for you to make it on time. Three hours early. Well, the yeah, the, the commute was to walk downstairs to the lobby instead of to drive to the office. So, yeah. <laughs> makes perfect makes perfect sense. Uh, so crazy. We've got stocks at an all-time high here, right? Uh, we've got, uh, as I was trying to share my screen and failed there at the very beginning. Here's a quick uh, look at the NASDAQ. As you can see on the daily chart, uh, it was right at the new all-time high on Thursday and Friday. Absolutely destroyed it. Went from 412 up to about 421, 422. And the S&P, which was slightly lagging, uh, made the, a new all-time high, closing at 482.43, over 479.98. Everything gapping up today. Markets across the world celebrating. Blue sky breakout. Mike, how are they talking about this on the morning call? Um, well, the, our, our equity strategy, Gina, is as you would expect, everything's up. And you know how mar stock markets are, are, are. If they go up, they're going to go up. And that's what's happened. So everybody's bullish. And that's just what we saw in Bitcoin a couple months ago. But or, a few weeks ago, but the economist Anna Wong is it's very much one-sided, and she has one hand, and, and she's impressive. She thinks the um, the regional surveys, the ISMs, are um, the Fed regional surveys are all tilting negative. Um, she expects 100 basis points of easing, um, the fair value of easing this year, which makes sense. They tightened 100 basis points last year, but um, that's the key thing. Our economist is still pointing towards that recession. But here's the key thing is it's elusive in one way. So first of all, what's happening with the stock market? It's priced for Fed ease. Wonderful. That's great. Um, but why should the Fed ease now? Because the stock market is going up. It's just silly. So what might that might, that might make happen is this elusive recession to get worse. Now, we are already tilting that way in Europe. You see what's happening in China. And the effects of these interest rates Basically, they're getting started. So in the macro, in my view, is yes, the stock market's going high. So let's dig in the micro. From a commodity standpoint, if copper and crude oil can't go up when the stock market's making all-time record highs, what happens when it has just a little reversion? And the key places that the key indicators, Bitcoin versus gold. Bitcoin's now down about 4% on the year. Gold, gold's given back about 2%. But that ratio to me has been one of my key indicators that I think it's warning us. Now, the Bitcoin gold ratio reached all-time high right when we had the biggest pump in liquidity ever in 2021. And those facts have changed. And that was a pretty high peak. So that high was around 35. Now it's dipping around, down the ratios in around 20. 
and uh, to me this is my key indicator and that if that bitcoin don't start getting going soon it's going to think i think it's going to be an indicator that this stock market rally which is great it's wonderful it's making us all feel richer will actually might be as we say in commodities its own worst enemy because it's taking the fed tight and fed easing out of the picture and it just might make it worse so that's that's the tilt but certainly from commodities i'll end with this the number one measure of heat, electricity, and fertilizer in this country, U.S. natural gas, has dropped down to about $2.40 per MMBTU. That was first traded in 1990. So from my standpoint, global basis, pretty severe deflationary forces accelerating. Yeah, that all makes sense. You said that everybody is bullish, but uh, I want to actually push back on that because last week, or a few weeks ago on the show, we showed sort of the 2024 expected uh, expectations from multiple Wall Street firms. And literally every, them, every one of them agrees with you and still thinks a recession is coming. You remember everything was muted. We were wrong in 2023. 2024 will be the year it happens. This is uh, one of the lead articles here. Brevin Howard's top economist sees recession coming in 2024. This is pretty much consensus across, across the board. He says the Fed is playing with fire when it comes to the employment side of its dual mandate to maintain a healthy labor market and steady inflation. And then, of course, you have the Fed to begin rate cut discussions, but avoid teeing first one up. It's exactly what you're saying. Now we're talking about it. It's being priced in, but maybe it's not going to happen. I mean, James, what do you think is going on? Here? Well, I mean, I, I read that article uh, this morning and he, he makes a good point talking about how the labor participation rate really dropped um, pretty quickly in this last uh, this this last period, and that and that's an important point. Um, but the other thing is, the the Fed is saying the neutral rate long term has they they've maintained the long term neutral rate is two and a half percent, which we've been holding three percent above that for a while now. And so again, we come back to the Fed will hold rates for as long as it needs until it sees something that makes them lower rates or inject liquidity, and then it's too late. And so they always overstay their welcome. So the question is, when is the welcome kind of run up? Like, when is it, when is their welcome running out? And, and when do we see that, that, that drop off in employment, uh, the margin squeeze, where, where do we see if we have some sort of uh, credit event? When does that occur? But I do believe that Unless something happens between now and March, I, I think that that the market is way overestimating the likelihood of a, a March cut because we don't have the the indicators that that the Fed is going to say they need and to have as uh, as evidence that that they're right and they should start lowering rates. So, okay. The words "crack up boom" mean anything to anybody here? <laughs> Uh, you know, it, 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 feels like that this, this feels like, you know, from this, from a stock perspective, this feels like the, the rally to whatever level it is before, you know, people start to, you know, things start to normalize. You know, the fact of the matter is a lot of liquidity is being put in the system by the treasury. The fed may be, be taking liquidity out and losing money, but you know, the, the liquidity as, as I talked about last week is moving into the world. Uh, it's at a higher price, but there's plenty of liquidity there. And so the question is, what are people doing with their money? Well, you know, we're, we were getting our, our, our January effect. Look up what happened in January of uh, 2000. And, you know, it, it kind of feels similar to me. I said this before, but I think that the, the, the needle might very well be people having to sell 
uh, for capital gains taxes purposes in March, generally, you know, in, in before tax day. To me, that it, it, it almost feels too pat for that to be the case. I talked about it last week. Doesn't feel crazy now. Uh, look, I'm not, I, I have no dog in this fight. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it as, I don't see the stock market as, as a good value <laughs> by any stretch. And I think that it's overly discounting, you know, a hundred basis points of cuts. They think, okay, well, that matters. But what James said is important. Neutral rate. If we're above neutral, you would think that Mike would be right. You would think that people would say, okay, I got to get the hell out. But, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't happen. The market can remain irrational longer than, than anyone can remain solvent. So it's really a question of, do you fight the flows or not? Now, as for Mike's point on Bitcoin gold, oh man, <laughs> I don't, there isn't, an, the other side of that bet is, is where I want to be. The fact of the matter is, and look, you know, I think that the likelihood of Bitcoin becoming digital gold is higher now than it has ever been in, in our lifetime. The network is triple, more than triple now, where it was when Bitcoin last made an all-time high. You know, I, I don't know the numbers on the go, on the ratio, whatever, you know, in terms of price. I only care about market cap. Bitcoin's market cap is still, you know, what is it, one twelfth, one fifteenth gold's, you know, monetary value, depending on how you want to look at it. And I don't know that it'll get there this cycle, but I think it, the likelihood of it getting there is larger now than it's ever been. And if you look at what's going on in the world of crypto, it's completely unsurprising. Actually, the most surprising to me is that altcoins seem to be are going are going down at the end of last week, which is kind of a, to me that if if there is an early warning indicator in crypto to what Nasdaq is going to do, it's the altcoin market <clears throat> because that's where really the speculative the real speculative juices are. Bitcoin's doing exactly what one would expect given the amount of minor selling there was last week, given the amount of, of uh, open interest decline in the CME, which we know drove a large part of the last rally. And given, you know, the fact is, is with that, all of that, uh, the net inflows to the ETFs are not enough to offset the GBTC outflows and the outflows I just described. Does that mean much? Not really. We're still in a trading range. We're still where you would expect. And, and one stat I'll leave you with, which is a very interesting one, uh, and it's been true for a while now, the number of days of rally that Bitcoin actually goes up is so small that do you really want to be on the sidelines if that's where you were at on a long-term basis? And honestly, that's where I'm at on a long-term basis. I think it's the highest asymmetrical positive asset out there. And we now have a tool for people to start putting money into it. And by every measure of normal, not crypto people, but normal measures of success, it's been a rousing success. And frankly, that's with half of the of the retail systems not even allowing their clients to buy it. So, you know, we can we can talk about that and dig in more, but there's the flows are pretty are pretty strong and for very good reason. And nothing has really changed yet because no asset allocation models have added it. And no RA systems have delved into it. And, you know, they're all looking at it and it takes time. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that Bitcoin's kind of trading in its own little vacuum at the moment. You know, I, I don't disagree necessarily when Mike says leading indicator at large. But right now, this is very specific what's happening, right? I mean, it doesn't take a genius to look and see $500 million a day in Bitcoin moving from Grayscale to Coinbase to be sold on the open market to understand why it can't go up. 
right? So, Mike, when you say uh, you know, it's got to go up soon or else, I mean, it just can't while that's happening. There's just not enough volume or buying interest to, to which is funny because we've heard about these unlocks and supply <laughs> shocks and all these things uh, over the years for Bitcoin. This is the first one I remember actually mattering. Like, you know, sure. Mt. Gox was going to open and we're dead and all these things. Well, this time it, it, it's pretty transparent. Let's start with gold as an example. The total amount held in gold ETPs on the planet is about $180 billion. It's not a lot, partly because gold is less than 1% of total global portfolios, typical financial portfolios. And the main thing I've heard since I've been in the business is there's no earnings. Okay, so it's more the some of the boomers who like the boomer rocks, the people I know are involved, and certainly when you're in the, the gold bugs. So maybe that's an indication for Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin's a hot newcomer, and there's, what, 200, maybe 25 billion in GBTC, the big GLD of the space. But it's a key thing that people, I think, who are very, very in that unique space of Bitcoin are forgetting about the macro outlook, and that is... In terms of long-term investment returns, um, it's compounding earnings. I've always the number one thing that gold and Bitcoin do not have. Now, Ethereum does. And Ethereum and the rest of the um, cryptos at least have something to look forward to. Is ETFs will be launched in those products. It's just a matter of time. Bitcoin's done. It's just made a major, I think, as we know as parents, a major step in adulting. And here we are. You can do all you want with it easily with a push of a button with your Schwab broker. And do you expect the, the returns and the volatility of the past to happen? No, it's going to get squashed into a trade like gold, in my view. And it's been, I, I wrote about that five years ago. So here's the, the fact there. And the key thing is, I look at it this year is, if I'm right in my macro great reset view, it should happen this year. I'm ready to fill or kill it. And the biggest, most significant asset on the planet that was part of WIRP and was born in the great financial crisis was Bitcoin. And it peaked with the biggest pump in liquidity ever. If you just study your history, that's how these things work. And it's been going down since 2021, the biggest pump in liquidity ever. That makes complete sense. Now we have ETF. So I look at it as the indications I see from Bitcoin gold, from commodities, from the yield curve. You have to be careful and ignore the stock people. Okay, great. Yes, they made new highs, but this stuff usually happens. And then when it usually, sometimes those kind of things can last for decades. Um, so let's look at lately, I've been watching China. That is clearly imploding. China is a country that's just in a severe deflationary reset right now. And they just starting to figure it out. So I look at from our standpoint this year, What's going to be the, the trigger points? It's January. Yes, it's a January effect. They pointed that out. But now what I, I the problem I have when I see people ask me, why aren't you bullish crude? I'm like, well, you kind of look at it lately. You have to look at everything in connection with beta. Beta is the S&P 500. When I traded a hedge fund, we use the S&P minis. If beta is going up this much and these other assets that are higher volatility, typically sometimes high beta are going down, what does that mean when beta goes down? And that to me is the key, the risk is thank God beta is going up because what would that mean when beta goes down? I didn't say if. Now just here's a key thing, the volatility in the VIX, VIX index, you just look at the 12 week average, you divide by or minus Fed funds, it's the lowest since 2007. Yield curve, Fed funds and one extreme versus 30 are still the steepest since what, 1980? And like, yeah, okay. It's been early, but we've also, we're in the historic aberration of the biggest pump in liquidity ever that's probably just going away. Yeah, I've been early, but I, I have to admit, if it doesn't happen this year, the Great Reset doesn't happen soon, then I will cave. But what I see happening in Bitcoin versus gold is clearly heading that way. You said not this year, though. And I think that a lot of people now looking to the beginning of 2025 because the election will be done. Yeah, I'll, I'll give up. I mean, these kind of things that I see happening are 
um, quite historic. And in the textbook I plan the right, the history I plan the right would be kind of convoluted if it doesn't work out this way, but I'm willing to adjust to what's happening in markets. And this, you know, you can't, a key thing you have to watch about the US stock market is it's just look at versus China. Ooh, not so bad. At least Japan's catching up a little bit, but it's very completely US centric, very much. Um, and yeah, I get it. There's wars going on. It's when people get bearish to the dollar. I'm like, yeah, well, good luck. Well, you don't want to be bearish to the dollar when there's wars going on. There's only one country in the world that provides open seas and protection since World War II, even before that. But uh, here I'll end with this. A key thing also, and still keeps, I think, the people who are still poo pooing this technology and cryptos need to understand that the most widely traded um, cryptos, most of them oftentimes, are crypto dollars, stable coins. And that, AUM only goes up. It's the technology. Totally agree. James, I mean, where do you stand on what's happening with the ETF and this GBTC selling? Do you think that it stops anytime soon? Because, man, if, if we were a correlated asset to the uh, stock market, which people have said for years, we should be uh, yeah. pretty like uh, 80,000 right now. No, I, I don't think it stops um, in, in, in the near term. I think it's just going to continue to bleed out because it, it's got a 1.5% fee on it versus 0.25% on any other, right? So the 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 margin there on fee is just so great that i think it's it's almost impossible for you to uh to look at that and 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 think that it, it's a good value even though they've been in the space they're, they're running an etf i mean ask dave running an etf is not that difficult uh you do have to have some you have to have some trading acumen and be able to make the markets in, in order to uh to be efficient and match the underlying performance of the asset. But that's not that difficult, especially with all the programs and machines we have now. It, it's, it's not uh, something that, that sets them apart in my mind. So that argument from them is they're going to continue to lose that argument every single day that they keep their rates at 1.5%. So no, I don't think it's gonna. It's just gonna stop overnight. Uh, it will ease at some point, and you'll just run into these the the core uh, holders that that don't care about the the fees, and they think one point five percent. Who cares? This is an asset that's going to go up hundreds of, of percents. So who cares? Um, but we're not there yet, in my opinion. Also, we just have not seen the inflows from from registered investment advisors and institutions that that we would expect, and it, that's actually, uh, you know, if you step back and look at it, that's actually bullish. not that surprising. You know, it's bullish and it's not that surprising because it takes a while, not just for all of these firms to get their their uh, their pipes in place. You know, they have to when when we went just just for information, when we went to buy uh, the, uh, the the spot ETF for, for a, a volatility position that we were putting on for my hedge fund, we had to instruct our prime broker to go and add the QSIPs to their systems in order to settle the trade. That was on the morning of these things opening. And that's not that's not atypical. So you still have people out there who don't have the you have you have investment advisors out there who don't have these the capability yet. And then you still have the Vanguards and the UBSs and the Merrills who are pushing against it as hard as they can. And so the the on-ramps are not there yet. It's going to be slow. It's going to be more like a trickle until it turns into a flow. And right now it's a trickle and it will become a flow. The question is, and I think that Mike brings up a great point, is do we hit 
the economic skids before it turns into a flow because we're still in a slow moving uh, event driven situation with Bitcoin and the ETFs. It's still we're still it's still playing out kind of in slow motion every single day with GBTC and more and more managers getting access to it. So, um, but do we have some sort of event or, or do we have a, a, a downturn in risk assets that Bitcoin, that you, you can say whatever you want, this thing has led risk assets for a long time here, for years. And so it, you know, it is playing a dangerous game at this point and, uh, and it could easily correct. And this is Bitcoin we're talking about. Yeah, it could correct down to the 30s, no doubt about it. Uh, but on the flip side, you could see that that uh, the supply side just dry up completely and it run 10, 20, 30 percent in a blink. And it's just it's the reality of the way the asset trades still. Dave. So there's there's two bits here. Um, one, there, there needs to be coherence when one looks at how we value assets and understand them. And I think that we, we keep playing a game where we lump things together. <clears throat> you can't have it both ways. Either Bitcoin is a correlated asset or it isn't. And frankly, over the last year, God knows the last six months, it isn't. Now it isn't for a reason. And when you talk about the investment case for gold and, and now the investment case for Bitcoin, what you're talking about is effectively the denominator on all this stuff. Yeah, there's no assets, but how many, how many dollars is the Fed printing every week now, James? <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty fair amount, and that's the denominator by which you measure assets. And so the whole point about gold—you mean the treasury? Why, why, yeah, exactly. The treasury, yeah. Why own gold? You own gold because you believe that that the fiat currency that of wherever you happen to live is being debased. The dollar is the is the last to go, will be the last to go, and should be it should not be the one leading Bitcoin higher. The thing is, there's a lot of smart money in the United States, and a lot of people who look at this and say, hmm, you know what? I need something to hedge my dollar risk. I need something to hedge that. And I also look at it and then, then you say to yourself, well, wait a minute, hedge what? You're going you're gonna to use your spending in dollars. That's the point. Bitcoin, every week, I say the same thing. When you look at the price, the issue is, will it achieve digital gold? Therefore, it trades like an option. That's where its volatility comes from. The fact is that will Bitcoin be that denominator that people use to measure debasement. That's really it. When you look at the rest of crypto, which is down significantly more, it's pretty easy to come out with a simple thesis, which is where's the selling coming from? Well, who are the marginal buyers? Generally in the beginning, they're coming out of Asia. China is getting murdered, as Mike said. It's down another, what, 2.6% today, this tiny stock market. I think that's what's weighing on, on, on the, the crypto market. I think it's pretty clear. Selling begets selling, and I think that's where the correlation is. We tend to be so U.S. centric here, but I think that U.S. is still, you know, is not the driver. Anyone who went to Token Forty Nine last fall, and you know this, Scott, the driver is coming out of Asia for crypto until the U.S. gets their act together. And so, understanding price action without looking at what's going on in Asian market asset markets are probably not so good. And that also another reason that hurts correlations. Last point. And that is that Bitcoin is in the middle of a retracement. Sure. It went from 25 the day before Larry Fink said, I'm going to do a Bitcoin ETF. It peaked at 48. Well, do the math and look at Fibonacci retracement levels. The, the shallowest one was at 42 and a half. 
The next one, which is the most generally, the average is around 39 and a half. You're not going to see me even so much as think about sweating over my long-term long position, even if it goes well below the second Fibonacci level, but we're not there. We're not there in a world where the, the marginal buyer of last resort, which is generally out of Asia, isn't there, right? And that's kind of important. So you, you have to look at everything in that context. As far as the ETF is concerned, the trickle flood, look, Bitcoin is an option and therefore the narrative matters. The last narrative, the, the, the last gas narrative that's going on right now is Elizabeth Warren getting even more shrill with the, G, you know, having convinced her how the GAO to say some stuff that if you read what the GAO said, they even no, felt they didn't even say what she said. That's right. They don't say what she said. The fact is, is, you know, I, I asked a very simple thing, which is if Hamas tells their, their donors not to use Bitcoin because it's too easy to trace, why or how does anybody let her? I know she's being community noted like crazy on X, but that's still our little bubble. You know, and, and news media aren't doing that because news media wants to let her play that game of control. The fact is, this year is all about this election. And, you know, it really is. It, it's becoming a line in the sand. Does Elizabeth Warren get to continue to run the economic regulatory policy? It's a yes, no question. If the answer is yes, then the U.S. is continue to languish and we'll see what happens. If the answer is no, I wouldn't want to be short this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I was trying to find the tweets. It doesn't matter, but uh, you are correct that she once again tried to beat the drum on this narrative and was quickly. Uh, people literally just showed screenshots of the report, which didn't say what she was referencing. She had, literally at this point, she's just counting on you reading the headline and not the article. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that's effectively what's happening. <clears throat> but, relatively astounding. But, but but the but the last point that that matters is where where Mike and I agree, and it is you know, earnings and what's going on. Look, the fact is, is I think the reason that the Great Reset hasn't happened is because they're kicking the can down the road again, and they're going to keep kicking the can down the road again. It's a presidential election year. You know, the odds that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury are going to let really bad stuff happen, probably not going to. But that doesn't mean that you can't get a, a you know, bubble prick like you did in in the 2000 presidential election cycle earlier in that year, where you saw pretty severe correction in the tech stock area, uh, followed by a rally back, followed by yet another correction, and into you know as we went into into 2001, it looked got looking ugly on that stuff. But you know th it, that's possible. There's no doubt that's possible. But a big macro bank failure run kind of thing now, not going to happen because they're going to throw a lot of liquidity into the market. Yeah, well, the, so let's talk about that for a second. So you know that BTFP is is about to expire. And so what are they doing is they're conditioning banks to go to the overnight window. You know, we talked about this last year. I think I wrote all about it. it, it the banks don't like to go to the overnight window because it's got such a negative stigma to it. You know, if you go to the overnight window, it shows that you you are not, you are a high risk uh, borrower. Desperate. You're yeah, and so who you, you, it puts you on kind of a a blacklist with other banks but, to to lend but, to. But, but James, didn't they just announce that every bank has to? Aren't they telling exactly. you they have so to? They're con exactly. So they're conditioning the banks by saying that yes, exactly, Dave. That they, they're requiring banks to go and use the facility. It would be like you've got a Discover card. And you have to use it at least once a year in order to keep it or else they shut it down. You don't get access to it. And so 
Of course, everybody's going to do that. They don't want to not have, or you have a personal line of credit at your bank that you have to use in order to keep it just in case. Of course, they're going to do it. And so now it, it gets to the point where, well, yeah, I, I did borrow, but you know, it was it now you it, it it just muddies the picture. So it's not like, well, Citigroup is not going to borrow. But if you have a small regional bank in Kentucky that needs some money and they go and borrow, then it, the question is, well, did they borrow because it was under the mandate or did they borrow because they needed it? And then you have to go and dig in. It just muddies the picture completely. And so by conditioning everybody to it being normal, they allowed that liquidity to be injected into the market and kind of hide it. And that's, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, so they're going to shut down the BTFP program and they're going to open up the window and say, well, everybody's using it. It's not that big of a deal. A few weeks ago here, we were saying they would never shut it down though. It does look like they are. Well, they've figured out a way that I, I think they've figured out a way to do it because they what they don't want is that black mark of saying, oh, we're just injecting liquidity into the market and, you know, uh, so they figured out a way that they're probably going to be able to finagle through it and, and you know, uh, thread that needle. But the reality is they're not taking away the liquidity. That's the th right. that, that's what it, it looks. It appears to me that they're not going to take away the liquidity. And that's the bottom line. So just go to first principles. Have they shut off the liquidity or not? Well, it appears that they're not going to. Right. Well, and, and, uh, and it, 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 go ahead, Dave. Sorry. I was just going to say that it's a big, the, it, with the 10 year at four, there's a lot less pressure than when the 10 year hit five, it looked like it was going to go, you know, go back, you know, really bad. <laughs> uh, okay. And so yeah. you, you just watch the, watch the flow of money. That's what they're, that's literally what they care about. Yeah. Well, you look at the 10 year though, the 10 year is broken above that, that uh, downtrend. Right. And Mike, you've shown this, this chart before. I think it's broken above that downtrend where for decades it was uh, it was going down towards zero. And now it's broken above that. And that's a significant move to the upside for the 10 years. So the question is, how how long and how high how long does it stay above that? How high does it go? And when the when we do run out of that reverse repo facility and the the Treasury is forced to go further out on the curve, what kind of rates are demanded out on that curve to compensate for that that risk premium? You know, that's that's the question, and nobody knows yet. But we're gonna we're definitely gonna see it. Mike's gonna, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, I, I got to pick you up back on that one. So first, let's start with if the U.S. cuts rates a hundred basis points this year, we'll still be above the rates in the highest, the biggest country in the world. Japan's two-year notes are zero. Germany's are already like 2.6 and China's 2.2. So that's how high rates are in this country, particularly if we have a little bit of slowdown. So I look at that 10-year note trend. I That's part of what got me to New York from the trading pits in Chicago. It's just saying, hey, yields are going down, bond prices are going up. A lot of New Yorkers disagreed. I got right about that one. But what did it take to show a blip in the end of that train. The biggest liquidity pumping ever and the risk three years ago, we're all gonna die. Something that was completely unprecedented. Okay, now we're tilting backwards. I see this in commodities. Virtually all commodities are going back to where they were right before the big pump. It was 2019 levels. Natural gas has done it. Corn is very close. Lumber has done it. Crude oil's getting there. They're all going there despite this massive pump in liquidity. It shows, all the lessons of history, Bloom and Bust is one book. The other one I read in The Price of Time is another one I've read recently. When you get these big pumps in liquidity, 
and assets pump, they always go back down. Now we're seeing it happening. There's significant wealth destruction happening in China. The question is what stops it? Every day I read and when I talk to my colleagues, it's like there ain't no one traveling. All I see on CNN is everybody from China trying to get out and emigrate to the US. They don't have immigration problems, which is a main thing, but it's the tilt that way. And that's why I think I'm Phil or Kill, right? And that's the main thing that's pushing back on that narrative of a global deflationary recession right now is the US stock market. It's awesome if it keeps going. That's my point about Bitcoin. I think Dave's right. Yeah, so far, and, and James, this is just a correction. But it's a correction from lower levels after making higher highs in an environment that's completely shifting. So this is why I like to tilt over. Like, let's see. Let's show me the beef. Stock market's been doing, but I'm not seeing it in commodities. I'm not seeing it in data. And we have this little bounce in 10-year-note yields this year. So my view this year is some of the best performing assets will be U.S. long bonds, gold, and um, that's those two, because it's just the way it usually works in these type of cycles. But I want to end with this. One thing I do really enjoy, Dave, is when you point out Elizabeth Warren, I mean, what better antagonist in the history of mankind than someone who's fussy, not the best attractive person in the world, and says dumb things. I mean, this is, if you want to raise your hand and say, I want to go in, down in history as someone who's probably not really smart enough to figure out what's happening with the world and going the right way, it's wonderful when people do that, but it's the discourse in this country that's awesome. You ain't getting none of that in China as part of the problem. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, is, that is certainly true. Look, it, 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 the crypto community wants to make her into the human pinata, and she wants to make us into, into all speaking uh, foreign languages or being offshore because she wants everyone in her industry gone. But the reason why she wants her industry gone is what's important here. Let's let not lose, lose touch with that. And that is simple. And that if your worldview is to have eight banks that control most of the economy, that she could put her thumb on the scales when she needs to from her seat on the banking committee to control the economy, uh, the best way to do that is to get rid of all potential competition to the next iteration of banks. And part of the BTFP situation, I am sure, is the same thing. You know, it's like, we don't want them to die, but we don't necessarily want them to grow either from the regional banking perspective. And we still, we haven't gotten over our commercial real estate problem. I mean, nothing but, I mean, come on, you know, it, 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 where's all the people flooding back into the offices all around, all around all the major cities? The answer is it's a, talk about a trickle. There, there, there's a trickle there and that, and commercial real estate is still a problem and it's not going anywhere. We haven't talked about it in a while because people are like, eh, well, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just, you know, I, I reminded of those cartoons where, you know, the, the, the person that says, you know, clean up the house. And what do they do? They lift up the carpet and they start sweeping everything <laughs> under the rug. I mean, I mean, these problems, these problems still exist, but I think it's exceedingly important for this show to understand my view and where I disagree is I see, I read the tea leaves as the, the monetary part of gold is go not going away this cycle. It's not going away probably in the next 25 to 50 years, but it's going to get supplanted much in the way that silver did. And I think that in a digital world, Bitcoin has a much better chance of doing that. And I just look at, at, at that market as differently. I, I look at Ethereum and I look at the rest of the, the altcoins, though, very much the same way that you might uh, in terms of is there investment going into new infrastructures to do the new future? Because, you know, the in, as Mark Yosko likes to talk about, the Internet uh, of information was a big deal. But the Internet of value, which is what all of this stuff is about, is potentially as big or bigger of a deal and we haven't seen any of that yet i mean you know you see it, it just compared to the stock market the entire market cap of all of that is less than any of the big seven 
you know, companies just in the U.S. alone. So, you know, it, we're, we're looking at a small piece of the economy when we talk about this stuff. And, and that's why I hate conflating it this way. And nobody talks about commercial real estate anymore because it was supposed to crash and then it didn't. And then you just forget. It's like the banks, right? Uh, that, that's how people's minds work. If they see a hyperbolic title or a prediction and it doesn't happen immediately, then all of a sudden, apparently it's fixed. Yeah. Right? I, I, I got to piggyback on what Dave said a little bit. That's part of the reason in 2018, we launched the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index because our thought was this is a proper way to get in and measure in for proper for investors to be in this space is use an index. We're not even close to that, but it's coming at some point. It's, I mean, rather than picking winners like one Bitcoin, use an index. Yeah, uh, absolutely. James, did you have a comment? No, not, I don't mean, want to talk about that. <laughs> and so you're about to have a comment because you said, you know, they'll, they'll keep finding kind of hidden ways to make liquidity. I tried to bring this graphic up actually kind of when you said it because they might close that BTFP. But as you said, going to the overnight discount window, there's one thing they can't hide. Right. And that's uh, the extreme debt here. As we kick off 2024, the U.S. has already added another 200 billion in federal debt over the last three weeks. This puts annual interest expense on track to hit $1.05 trillion. To put this in perspective, annual interest expense was less than $500 billion just two years ago. So we've more than doubled in two years. As interest rates rise and deficit spending soars, interest expense is becoming one of our largest costs. It is the biggest, but there you go. What's yeah. the long-term plan here? You guys want to see, this, isn't, this is our interest expense, what we, that, what we pay in interest on the debt, going parabolic. Which it goes back to what Dave was saying is that we're just injecting, you know, we're, we're, this is, this is inflationary, the deficit spending. And so what, but where does it stand? And you're seeing the interest expense, but, you know, we did, we added $2.6 trillion of federal debt last year. And now we're running at $2 trillion of annual deficit, right? So if we're spending $6.4 trillion, our revenues are, are, are about $4.4. The GDP is not keeping up, and so you you know that's our tax base. So the the problem is if we if Mike is right, and and I, my suspicion is right, then we run into a uh, a recessionary period here pretty quickly in this year. Then typically your 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 entitlement spending rises by about eight to twelve percent, and then your because of unemployment et cetera, and then your your revenue decreases by a like amount. So just using 10% on kind of an, uh, an average for both of those, you're talking about your, your spending increasing to over $7 trillion, and then your revenues dropping to under $4 trillion, giving you a deficit of over $3 trillion. And that's, that's, that's so we're running to this, this. This is the most important part about what you're talking about, Scott, is that we're running $2 trillion deficits and we're not even in a recession. Like, this is just, it's, it's absolute madness. It's lunacy. So if and when we do hit a recession, that's going to go up by 50%. What do you think they're going to do? You think they're just going to allow the GDP to drop off a cliff? Of course they're not. They, there's no, they, it, it, the playbook does not allow for it. There's not a page for that in the playbook. The page goes, it, it, it goes, go to page 99, which is print, print again. <laughs> I just said, can't they just print more pages in the book? And, that, <laughs> and, and by the way, that's why the stock market is doing what it's doing. Because in in it, people are like, okay, sure, 
they're go- that's exactly what's going to happen and that's why you know everyone's looking at the at the level of interest rates and i keep saying it's but it's the it's the liquidity right you know it, that those deficits that money has to go somewhere and and look i've said this a lot on this program if you are sitting in the seats of power what do you want you want asset inflation and you want capital substituting for labor because that's what allows you to print without causing a lot massive spikes in cpi and consumer inflation i'm not saying it's going to be easy but so far they've been doing a pretty good job of, of pushing back into that the problem with the recession is all of a sudden now they got to start putting money in people's hands because they need it and that's why they're they're going to fight tooth and nail against it i mean look they've been successful so far i mean we can't argue with it just empirically you know the, the the fact is outside of the labor force participation rate which i actually agree with mike i think that is a very important indicator uh outside of that i mean it doesn't look recessionary at all from the the top view um, affordability of life uh, you know <laughs> you know that's that's a different story but the fact is that liquidity is meandering its way into capital markets and which is the lead sled dog the u.s stock market and it has been well we have been so conditioned to debt in this country you know i mean in in the western hemisphere right so but we have been so conditioned to it just look at the consumer debt is 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 running at at ridiculous all-time highs now when does that you know of course the the the, the metric that matters is is you know the, the 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 percentage of of payments on that debt you know on your on your income but which is not near its all-time high yet, but it's it it's it's increasing, and so you're seeing where the consumer outstanding consumer debt is over it's one point three trillion dollars. It's just a, it's another chart that goes straight up. So, I mean, and let me see if I can pull up this screen. We're gonna try to share a screen here, Scott. You ready? Think we can do it? Let's do it, man. I was born for this. Ready? Can you see, see it? it? Yeah. There's our there is. there's our consumer credit outstanding. How's that? How are we doing? And this does not include buy now, pay later. So I mean, at some point, we're just conditioned to it, and people are like, "Yolo, I'm gonna, you know, I'm buying that. I'm buying the Tesla, and I'm, I'm get it I'm, now. It's gonna be twice as expensive soon, right? Yeah, I'm gonna get the the uh, the Apple goggles or whatever. You Although know. Teslas go down every day, actually in price, that's so that, that's an incorrect. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's because I bought one. Tesla's doing to automakers essentially what happened a year ago, what Ford did with the Model T. Um, even there was a pretty significant inflationary period um, in the 20s, Ford still cut prices. And Tesla's doing that everywhere. And it's also happening, like there was a good um, recent update from BNEP, Bloomberg New Energy Finance. They expected the average battery price per megawatt hour to stay unchanged this year. It dropped 14%. It's where are the trends going? It's the two lessons of books, The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth, a very bullish Bitcoin guy, and The Price of Time is this stuff is just getting started. And think about the narrative we talked about in China a year ago. Everything was fine. Now, everything I see on BI China now is it's tilting towards that significant normal deflationary recession. What you pointed out with that unprecedented pump in deficit spending, absent a war, absent recession, on the back of the unprecedented pump in liquidity that created make people feel really rich and wealthy. In lessons of history, I'm doing reading um, 
finding I'm lagging, but reading Ray Dalio's principles way, you know, I, I was kind of delayed on it because he's too bullish China. But all yeah, those I lessons. Point, I haven't started it yet. I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, he's just so bullish China, that. but he wrote it. He wrote it in 21 when the narrative changed. It's completely shifted now. That's my point is what stops these trajectories? You need to typically a significant lag to significant amount of Federal Reserve easing. And not one major country started easing yet. They shouldn't and they won't until markets make them. That's where we're in that. Remember, it's only January. How are we going to be feeling around August? Of course, we're going to have the election that's going to distort things. It's the point is, here's a quote I'll end with. I heard from Goldman Sachs is, if you look at the history of stock market valuations, as far as they can go back, they're in the top 10 percentile of expensiveness. Dave, you pointed it out in terms of the 90% of the time where it's cheaper. And the U.S. is the number one. That's why I say sometimes it's like, yes, I, I love the narrative about U.S. debt. But compared to China, I hear they're almost um, three times the debt to GDP. That's what I've heard. Japan, obviously, we know that is. We can't get other data. We're this, the, the least, you know, the least worst of the rest of them. And we have the exorbitant privilege. But it's becoming um, important in the polls now that we can't just have this massive fiscal stimulus. Why? What happened? What happened? What was the lesson of too much liquidity that everybody hates the government for? It's too much inflation. Now, they're not going to remember the fact that how bad it could have been if they didn't do that. All they know is every time they go to drive, buy eggs or anything, it's much more expensive. And main reason it's expensive, we just created too much liquidity. So that lesson, I think, there is going to resonate for lifetime. It's a great point. And, and, you know, uh, Scott, if you can bring up my share again. So here's something interesting. So just look at the, we, I, I wrote about the uh, Michigan consumer sentiment, Michigan numbers, right? The, the consumer numbers. And so what's really interesting is that we hit levels over the past year and a half that would be consistent with a recession. Right. So if you, you see in the recession, we hit levels that is that's really consistent with recessions, but we didn't have one. Why? Why did we not have one? Because of massive deficit spending that covered it up. It just papered right over it. So people are feeling terrible. Prices are high. They can't afford things. Yet GDP is running. Why? How does that how is that possible? Well, because we're pushing we on a string. String, <clears throat> yeah, you're pushing on a string, and so yeah, consumer sentiment is coming back. But you know, I will, and, and Dave and, and Mike will will uh, agree with me every single time. Look at look at where consumer sentiment is right before a recession. It's always right at the highest level of that period, and then it drops off a cliff. I mean, so when everybody's feeling great, that's the time to get a little bit itchy and worried, and that's and so we're not quite there, but. There's something that just doesn't add up here. And I'm going to contend that it is the deficit spending, severe deficit spending in a non-recessionary period that kind of papered over the recession and made it look like everything's rosy. And so when you have you have politicians in the White House up there, you know, claiming and and professional economists and PhD economists up there claiming that. People are lying. Their life is good. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Everything's great. The economy's running along. Binomics. It, it's it's not true. And can, so, can I, yeah. James, I want to add to that. The wealth effect. 
I just you said it's the number one thing. I think it's the personal wealth effect of any rational, what, 62% of people in this country are homeowners. Their home, the average price has doubled in 10 years. It went up 34% since COVID because that's money supply did. Yet they've been re able to refinance down below 3%. That wealth effect? I mean, I, it caught me last couple of weeks, months ago. I was with family on the West Coast of of Florida and the point, oh, that, that condo traded 250 a couple of years ago. Now it's a million bucks. I mean, people are feeling wealthy. Questions, how long is that left? I mean, it, 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 the big problem is that the wealth effect goes to, you know, it's from the stock market is a big deal uh, as well. You know, the house effect, yes, but, you know, refinancing, that's big. It's been closed now for a couple of years. So it's really the stock market wealth effect. But the problem with the stock market wealth effect is it, it is owned very disproportionately. And so, you know, I've made the point that if you said, if you took out a whiteboard and said, okay, I want to create wealth inequality, I want to create wealth inequality, what would you do? Well, you would have a, a you would not have sound money. You would have an inflationary monetary environment. You would have fiscal deficits. You would have high regulations to stop smaller, you know, smaller companies, which are the engine of, of growth and economic mobility. And you would prioritize the stock market over Main Street, Wall Street over Main Street. And, you know, frankly, that's a, there's there's a reason why some of the political sea changes you see going on exist, right? You know, there's all the if you listen to DeSantis's speech or you know talk to Vivek's speech, you know, yeah, okay, they threw in the towels, they couldn't beat Trump, but who are they actually most concerned about? They're concerned about the the Uniparty. They're concerned about the Democrats and the old line Republicans who actually have done this stuff for all these years. And so this is the Wall Street versus Main Street rap and. Honestly, look, I spent most of my career on Wall Street, but you know, I, I'm in crypto because it is the tool to try to reestablish or, or at least change that imbalance. But that is a very big deal. I mean, it, 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 just think about $3 trillion deficits with a mild recession. What would a big recession do, right? I mean, we're, we're, these are, people need to understand, we've had the longest, to put it in, in Mike's perspective, he likes to talk about, well, the greatest, you know, thing liquidity in history that pumped. The truth is, this is the longest bull market in history. I mean, you're going from 2009 through 2023 or 2024 now, right? That's, why, know, it's hard it, to, it, that's why it's hard to bet on them uh, letting it go tomorrow. You know, I, that, if, if anyone's right. wondering why the recession never comes, it's because, man, they're really good at this. So far, people are you're really yeah. good at it until you're not. Was it? Can we? Is it possible? Call me a simpleton. I am. But is it possible that we've had a recession this whole time, but stocks have gone up, so nobody is is willing to call it that? Uh, <laughs> every metric you're showing is recessionary. Mike it's proves it every single week. Like this, the thing is, we, we saw them. We saw metric. them kick the can. We saw them kick the can on the definition, right? Yeah. The recession used to be just, you know, negative, whatever the, you know, two consecutive quarters, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, no, that's not what it means. And then you can show another metric. They say, it's eh, not really what it means. So if we can't define recession, how do we ever know we're in one anyways? Yeah. It's, it, oh, it, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> look at, look what I just shared though, Scott. And it, this is another interesting data point is that look, and this is just earnings, you know, it's not just, but this is, this is who owns the stock market. And remember the, this this 10% of income earners own basically seven, they own seven stocks. That's what that's basically what's going on here. You've got you've got this 10%. That's my point. 
But that's that my old, point. Isn't it recession for, for a recession for you, but not for me kind of thing? If you're uh, yeah. on Wall Street or you're wealthy, and that's what. But and that's what people are trying to argue is that I it, no, that this is it's not working for me. It's not. I don't understand why you're saying that. And that's why you get in my feed at least. I get a lot of the the uh, retweets of TikTokers who are saying I can't make my payments for my car, I, my my apartment. I can't buy enough food for my kids. What is going on? I have three jobs. What is what is happening here? And that's all three of your jobs are counted in the job numbers that are telling us there's yes, no recession. Exactly. And and two of them are with the government. So, you know, it's crazy. It it's it, it's insanity. Yeah. So I think my, my new base case is it is a recession, dummy. Right. And then so, that's my new base case. I'm gonna keep saying it. People are gonna yell at me a lot. That's a good point, but it's also Bitcoin's never experienced a recession. So let's let's get through that. And that's my point is I want to see it show the beef of outperforming beta in a recession. And we haven't had that, but it's all tilting the other way. But I'll think one thing I want to point out is the number one historic way to create um wealth um disparity is to there's two good examples. There's North Korea, I'm sorry, South Korea, um, North Korea, and Singapore. And how have we created wealth disparity in this country? Because it just we expand so fast, some get left behind. And that's just the way it works. That's what you want. And Everybody gets left behind. Well, not everyone. I mean, yeah. that's okay. Ninety, ninety-eight percent. That's a big difference in this country. It's the nature to give back, and it's happening more and more. It just doesn't happen right away, but it's just part of the the DNA of this country is to give back once you because you you want to keep the system going for everybody. It's just usually the way it works. And the rest of the world, I mean, I lived in Europe for a year. It's that it's that old guard wealth that that's part of the reason my ancestors left. Um, but to me, this tilt now is that um, remember it's early in the year, it's January, it's all that great hopium kicking in. And the realization is um, what's going to happen towards the end of the year. That's why I say this leading indicator, Bitcoin, it's fill or kill and it's killing. I can't believe it's yeah, 957 because I, I was about to ask another question. Go, Dave. Yeah, please. Yeah, I was just going to say that the old guard in Europe, et cetera, that, that is literally what has happened in the top of the Democratic Party. And there are people in the Republican Party the same way. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, that is literally her goal is to 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 stop the the, the expansion on the uh, the broader base expansion. It's literally the exact opposite of her rhetoric, because yeah, that, that's a Very much longer conversation. I don't want to go there. You know, in terms of the showing the beef, I mean, Bitcoin is an option. Repeat after me. Uh, it's a narrative <laughs> and we're not there yet. And, it, you know, it, it it's going to show it because of what I believe to be is the most likely scenario. But you have to remember it that way. Anyway, Scott, go ahead. No, we, we ran out too much, too much time for me to ask the question anyway. So I, I love that uh, you can wrap it in a bow there. It just blows my mind that progressives, quote unquote, don't support Bitcoin. That's the side that should be 100% all in on this rationally. It helps the people. Mm -hmm. It fights the banks, which just lets you know that she's literally like, like you said, it's wagging the dog. It's projection. Right. It's saying, uh, look over there while I do all the things I'm yelling about. Right. And Max yep. Kaiser and Stacy, I don't know if you guys saw, they were on here on Thursday. And she, we, we talked about Jamie Dimon. And Stacy said that that's what Jamie Dimon was doing. He said she was projecting. He literally went on a rant. He said, Bitcoin's for money laundering, it's for sex trafficking, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, he's Epstein's banker. <laughs> they paid $30 billion in fines for money laundering. It's like, literally, like, here's all the things I'm doing. I'm going to go blame them. And it's yeah. it's really an astounding phenomenon. It really yep. is. Yeah. <laughs>
Right, James. It's a contemporary, you know, media playbook. That's that's what you do. You get out, you get out and project on somebody else. You know, look, they, they're just about they, they want control. They would they would like to. We don't have time to get into this and we can maybe talk about it in the next show is they want control by rolling out CBDCs. They want that. And they're trying right. to figure out how to do that, whether they do it through bank CBD, CBDCs or they do the Fed now program. They do the Fed. CBD, they want CBDCs to control. And it, it, it's, a, it's a whole nother narrative that we can talk um, wrap around uh, macro on next next week if we want to. But that's what they want. It's, it's simple. Let's do a show yeah. on CBDCs. That would be uh, that would be fun. I see people even it's, saying it. Yeah. It's already happened. Crypto dollars, the whole world went for dollars and they could have gone through the yuan, UN, through cryptos. They went for crypto dollars. It's what, 98% of all stable coins? Yeah, I absolutely yep. agree. Guys, that's all we got. 10 a.m. Thank you, uh, Dave and James. James always early, but Dave, you got up, you did the you did the, you did the lobby. You get you get you get yep. today's uh participation trophy. Good job. <laughs> okay. Um and uh, Take care, guys. as always. Guys, we'll see you all uh back here. Uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m., of course, but uh, Macro Monday next Monday. Thank you all. See you next week. Bye. Bye. That's dope.